Find your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. It's a very familiar story. I'll begin reading at chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, Jesus was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and called him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat boat worshipped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you have us in this place today because you have a special word for each one of us. So we humbly ask, O God, give us ears to hear what you are saying to us today. God, we are here today because we, above all else in life, want to be your people. We want to live and to die as your people here in this world. God, we're so grateful for the ways that you're with us throughout all of life, both the joys and the struggles. And throughout all of life, we pray that our lives will bring glory to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Even for Jesus, there were times when he needed to get away from the crowds. There were times when he needed to go away and be by himself and spend time by himself in prayer with his Father. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, you you perhaps will notice the context. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, not counting the the women and the children. And now at this point, after he's fed the 5,000, Jesus makes the disciples to get into the boat and sends them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus dismisses the crowds because Jesus wants to go up 
the mountain, we would actually call it a hill, go up the hill from the Sea of Galilee and find a place to be by himself, to spend time in prayer. We actually think we know the very spot Jesus would go to up on the hillside near the Sea of Galilee. We call it the the Aramos Grotto, the Aramos Cave. And it was a cave that was known as a place of solitude for people who would go and spend time alone seeking God. So here Jesus goes up to be by himself on the side of the hill there at the Sea of Galilee. And he sends his disciples and he sends his, the crowd away from him. You know, when I look at Jesus doing this, I'm reminded how important it is in life that we learn the skill of setting boundaries. One of the books I've probably recommended almost more than any other book other than the Bible to people during my ministry is a book entitled Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. It's been a very popular book. It's been out now for decades, Boundaries. And of course, the topic is about boundaries teaching us how to set boundaries so that we can live the fruitful life that God has planned for us in Jesus Christ. Boundaries help us to help people. Boundaries help us to live the life that God is calling us to live. I remember in my very first church, which was here in High Point, over at Five Points, the old Montlou Avenue Methodist Church, Tammy and I moved into the parsonage, which was right next door from the church, wonderful congregation, and there was a young boy in that neighborhood of five points. Uh, I won't use his real name, I'll call him Tommy. Tommy came from a very, a very difficult home situation. So Tommy gravitated toward the church. He lived right there by the church. He gravitated toward the church. He gravitated toward me. And of course, I, we want to do everything we could for Tommy to help Tommy make it through life because he was coming from a very, very hard family situation. Tommy gravitated toward me and to the congregation, and he was there all the time. Tommy would come, and he would come, and he would come. Tommy was very needy, and we wanted to do what we could for Tommy. I wanted to do what I could for Tommy. But Tommy really required a lot. I mean, there were times he would just want to come hang out at the church, just get out of his home. And again, I understood how difficult his home situation was. I remember one night he, he called me about nine o'clock on a Sunday night and he said, is there anything going on at church? I said, not, not, not really, Tommy. He said, well, could I just come and sit on the steps? I said, sure, Tommy, come on. So he would come. And after a couple years of trying to help Tommy, and the more I tried to help Tommy, the larger he became as a project. The more I helped Tommy, the more he wanted me to help Tommy. And I remember talking to one of my spiritual mentors at that point. And I was a very, very young pastor, first appointment. And I'm so grateful, I've been since then so grateful for the wisdom that my mentor gave me at that point. He said, you know, if you do not set the boundaries with Tommy, what will eventually happen, you'll get to the point you can't deal with it anymore and you will flee from Tommy 
or you'll make Tommy flee from you, one or the other. And my mentor said, and of course, that's not what you want. You want to be able to work with Tommy, give Tommy uh, some help in life, but you had to have boundaries so that you could be in relationship with Tommy for a long period of time. That was such helpful advice. And it's advice that I've reminded myself of frequently throughout the years. About 20 years would pass, and I lost contact with Tommy. I went on to other churches, and I think God, just to confirm, perhaps, all the energy and time I'd put into Tommy, allowed me to run across Tommy again. I was in a convenience store in the triad, and somebody called me by name. Well, the person calling him by, by name did not even look familiar to me, but when I looked at his name badge, it was, it was Tommy. And Tommy had grown up to be a, a rather responsible adult with a wife and kids. And life had turned out fairly well for Tommy, even with all of his challenges. If we want to be in ministry, if we want to help anybody, one of the most important things we could do is set those boundaries. Jesus had to spend those nights in prayer because he spent those days in ministry. So here Jesus sent the disciples and the crowd away and he went up on the side of the hill and spent time with the Father. So there's Jesus up on the side of the hill praying through the night and a storm comes rapidly upon the Sea of Galilee. And if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, you know that still to this day, storms can arise rapidly on the Sea of Galilee. When you're there in the area, you'll notice there's a few places to park cars, and they even have signs up that say, in the event of a storm, you may come back and find your car underwater. Storms arise rapidly on the Sea of Galilee. They still do. That's what happened to the disciples. The Sea of Galilee is not a really large body of water. And they were about halfway across the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were, when the storm arose quickly and rapidly. You know, sometimes, just like on the Sea of Galilee, storms come into our lives when we least expect them. Even when we think we're prepared, storms come into our lives in ways that we don't anticipate. And sometimes those storms come into our lives so quickly and so rapidly, we had no time in advance to prepare. I remember back in 1998, I was pastoring Archdale United Methodist Church, is also here in this area, and uh, Tammy and I just sat down for dinner with another couple. It was a summer evening. And you know how sometimes storms develop quickly in the summer? We're sitting there having dinner, and the next thing I know, I was at the old rainbow, by the way, the next thing I knew, I got a phone call from my secretary who said that the news crew was at my church filming. That's usually never a good sign. So I left my dinner. I asked Tammy if I don't make it back, just take it home and I'll eat later. Well, I did not make it back. A quick, rapid summer storm. They called it a microburst. Hit Archdale Methodist Church and did $1.2 million worth of damage. I was just eating dinner and that happened. And uh, it, it damaged our sanctuary. It damaged all of our educational building. But our family life center was 
pretty well preserved. So the next Sunday we gathered and worshiped. And by the way, the TV crew was there and we gathered and worshiped the next Sunday after the storm hit our church. We gathered to worship and and I'll never forget that worship service. It was a powerful worship service. We all went into the Family Life Center because our sanctuary was uh, still in disrepair. We went in the Family Life Center. We worshiped. I remember particularly one hymn that we sang. It was a hymn that John Wesley, not Charles, a hymn writer, but a hymn that John Wesley translated out of the German into the English. We all know how Charles Wesley wrote 7,000 hymns for the people called Methodist. But John Wesley would occasionally find hymns in other languages, particularly among the German Moravians. And he would translate from the German into English. And we used one of those hymns. The Sunday after the storm hit the church, that hymn is entitled, Give to the Winds Thy Fears. And we're going to sing it in a few moments. Give to the winds thy fears. Uh, you probably don't know the lyrics because it comes from German Moravianism into English via John Wesley. But you'll know the tune when we sing it. Give to the winds thy fears. When the storms come into our lives, when the, when the winds are contrary to our lives, maybe we should be reminded to give our fears to those winds. And let the winds carry our fears away. Life can change so quickly. The storms can come upon us so rapidly. So the disciples found themselves in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, interestingly enough, let them weather the storm for a little while by themselves. I'm sure Jesus knew they could learn something. But eventually Jesus came down out of his place of prayer. And again, it's the middle of the night. Think about how terrifying the storm was in the middle of the night. He came down out of his place of prayer and he went to the disciples there on the Sea of Galilee walking on the water. I've been on the Sea of Galilee several times. You cannot go on the Sea of Galilee without being reminded this was the body of water upon which Jesus walked. Jesus walked on the water to go to his disciples there in distress in the boat. And of course, when he got to his disciples, uh, the, the disciples said something that was rather logical. He said, it, they said, it is a ghost. Because the last thing they would have thought was that anyone could come to them walking on the water. So they thought it was a ghost. Jesus responded to that by saying, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. Throughout the Bible, over and over and over, we're told, do not be afraid. Give to the winds thy fears. Well, when they decided it was Jesus walking on the water, when they decided it was Jesus walking on the water, we go to the second part of the story, which is amazing. When they decided it was Jesus walking on the water, we see what Peter did. And of all the text in the New Testament, this simple text here, this one text here, shows us Peter's personality more fully, more completely than any other single text in the Gospels. Here's Jesus walking on the water, and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter asked Jesus if he could join him 
in walking on the water. Let that sink in for just a moment. I don't know if that's what I would have asked Jesus if I realized that was Jesus walking on the water. But that's what Peter asked. And even surprisingly, Jesus did not say to Peter, 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 you know that humans are not made for walking on water. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus simply said to Peter, come. And then Peter got out of the boat. Can you, can you imagine the faith that would take to get out of the boat and step on the waters of a storm-tossed sea? He got out of the boat. Several years ago, I'm told here at Weston Memorial, you went through a rather extensive season where as classes you studied a particular book and that book was lifted up in worship. It was a classic from about 20 some years ago by John Ortberg entitled, I love the title, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Some of you may remember that special series here. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat, and that's certainly true. I know for most of us, we prefer the safety of the boat. We prefer the safety of the harbor. We prefer the safety of the known. We prefer the safety of the comfortable. Peter was brave enough to ask Jesus to let him join Jesus walking on the water and Jesus invited him to come but then of course you know the story you know how it ends as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus he was able to walk but as soon as Peter took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the storm started looking at his circumstances in life he began to sink and when he began to sink, Peter prayed a wonderful prayer, a short prayer, but a wonderful prayer. Peter just said, Lord, save me. I like short prayers. You, you probably know that among the people called Methodists, Francis Asbury is one of our heroes. That's why our parlor is named the Asbury Room. That's why you go in our parlor, there's a portrait of Francis Asbury there. Francis Asbury was one of the first bishops of the people called Methodist here in the colonies. And Francis Asbury was a remarkable preacher and a remarkable leader. And he uh, spread the gospel all over the colonies of his age and then in the infant United States of America. And Francis Asbury said so many wonderful things. One of my favorite, by the way, as an aside, one of my favorite quotations from Francis Asbury is this, we live by faith. In a prayer hearing, soul converting, soul sanctifying, soul restoring, soul comforting God. That's so true. That's a quotation from Francis Asbury. Francis Asbury also said something that I read years ago and helped me out as a young pastor. His great advice, Francis Asbury in his journal at one point says, Your private prayers should be long, but your Public prayer should be short. Some good advice. Lord, save me. That was Peter's public prayer on this day as he began to sink. Lord, save me. And Jesus did that. Jesus went to Peter just like Jesus went 
to the disciples in the boat in the midst of the storm and saved. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus put him, Peter, in the boat and then got in the boat with him. The winds ceased. You know, sometimes Jesus speaks peace to the storm and calms the storm. Sometimes Jesus calms the storm inside of the disciple. Jesus calmed the storm and got into the boat. And then you see how the story ends. And I think Matthew, even though it's a, it's, it's a very uh, extraordinary story, I think Matthew really wants you to see this piece of it. When, when the walking on the water and the storm is past, you see what the disciples did. They worship Jesus. It takes a lot for a Jew to worship someone that may appear to be a human being. Jesus, Jews are really serious about this one God thing, about worshiping God and no one else. So when you see Jews worshiping Jesus, you should pick up what they're putting down. They realize that this is no mere mortal here. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They worship him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. They worship there in the boat. And as they worship him there in the boat, that is the most reasonable, logical, audacious, faith-filled thing they can do is worship him right there in that boat. We come into this place so that we can worship him. You heard Pastor Clark a few moments ago read from Psalm 107. The reason I want you to hear, you hear Psalm 107 today is Psalm 107 is very clear. Only God can control nature. Only God can control a storm. And that's exactly what the, the disciples knew. They knew the Psalms. They knew the Jewish faith. They knew that this one Jesus was doing something only God could do. God is fulfilled here in human history in the person of Jesus Christ. What a story. What a story. Some of you may be in a storm right now. Some of you may be in a storm right now, and the people around you do not even know it. And that's the way we go through storms sometimes. Sometimes we're in a storm, and the people around us don't even know it. If you are not in a storm right now, just hang on. There's one coming. There may be one on the horizon already. That's just the way life is. The good news today is if you're in a storm, or when the storm comes, He will be with you. He will be with you to speak peace to the storm. He will be with you to speak peace to you. Sometimes He calms the storm. Sometimes He calms the storm inside of the disciple. I'm so grateful for that, and that really is good news this morning. But I also want you to see the whole story. Not only did Jesus come to them in the storm, but Jesus allowed Peter to do something remarkable, extraordinary, supernatural. 
there in the midst of the storm. That's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to realize He's with us in the storm. He will calm the storm. But He really is calling us to do something extraordinary beyond our capabilities, beyond our imagining in that storm. He will grant us the grace. He will grant us the courage. He will grant us the faith to do something beyond our capabilities. I hope you know this one who calms the storms. I hope he is getting bigger and bigger in your life. In the Chronicle of Narnia, entitled Prince Caspian, there's Aslan. Aslan's the lion who is the uh, Christ figure. And at one point, Aslan, the Christ figure, is talking to Lucy. And he says to Lucy, every year you grow, you will find me bigger and bigger. I hope your Jesus is getting bigger and bigger in your life and in regards to what he can empower you to do. hope you know this, Jesus. And I hope that your relationship with him, your knowledge of him, will allow you to even walk on water. That's what God is calling you to do. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for allowing us to be in this place today. We, we think we may know why we're here, but we know that you have brought us into this place because you love us so much. You have a word for each one of us today. May we receive that word, and may we respond with great faith. God, there's so many distractions in this world. Sometimes the storms become so furious. Sometimes the demands become so great. But help us to keep our eyes on you. We pray, Lord Christ, that you will become bigger and bigger in our lives every day. For we want to live as your distinctive people in this world. Amen.